This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge is sponsored by IATA Training. More than 1 million students have boosted their aviation careers with them. Visit www.iata.org training to discover how they can help your aviation career. That's iata.org training. As we said in the Airline Weekly Lounge more than once, we love a comeback story, and India's Jet Airways, I think, now qualifies. After years of malaise, Jet turned modest profits in 2015 and 2016. Seth, how is 2017 shaping up? Pretty good. Uh, ninth consecutive profitable quarter they just had. Now, it's just a 4% operating margin, uh, but not bad considering fuel costs spiked 29%. Labor costs uh, also up 14%. They seem to be following a new playbook, and they've got a new CEO. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to start the show looking at Jet Airways' new lease on life. We'll talk about Air Berlin's perilous condition, EasyJet's new approach. We'll talk about hurricanes, Cuba, and a few questions about United's third quarter, which seems to be heading south. It's going to be a busy time in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're starting the show with Jet Airways, an airline that is working on a third straight year of profits. Seth, first question, how bad was it for Jet before this recent bit of success? Yeah, Jet really sort of the the uh, the, the lone, you know, comprehensive global airline in, in India that's not Air India. Uh, no, I mean, look, as recently as 2014... Uh, they were unprofitable uh, and, and pretty nasty. I think it was like a negative 6% operating margin that year at a time when there were only, oh, a dozen or so reporting airlines around the world that were losing any money at all. So it was, it was, the situation was about as bad as, uh, as any airline in, in the world at that time. And no doubt the turnaround has involved a change in strategy. Can you describe that a bit? Yeah, well, uh, you know, they are still 24% owned by Etihad, um, but uh, Etihad is clearly losing or, or conceding influence there. So, you know, for a while they sort of, and this is, you know, what, what happens at some of these uh, Etihad owned and influenced airlines. Um, they, you know, they, they, they couldn't optimize for their own business. Um, a lot of their international traffic uh, was flowing over Abu Dhabi uh, rather than Mumbai and, and Delhi, for example. And so now, uh, although Etihad still, still does own a quarter of the airline, Delta, Air France, KLM, uh, Virgin Atlantic have are clearly emerging as more important um, uh, partners. Um, so, in terms of Jet's own long haul, you know, Mumbai is 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 the focus. It always uh, probably should have been, uh, and uh, then it's developing these partnerships with uh, with airlines farther abroad who can help it in in other parts of the world. Uh, and so, it it just doesn't look as uh, which you might say was strategically confused uh, as it was there uh, for several years. It, it, it seems to, again, be doing the things that it ought to be doing to help itself um, rather than to help Etihad, frankly. Their success has been a bit of a surprise to me because you see the numbers coming from Indigo and SpiceJet, and I figure they can't be making much domestically. No, it, it's it's a competitive market. I mean, look, it, it is a, a, um, a, a growing market. The the opportunity in India is as much as exists probably anywhere in the world. You know, we're talking about a place where, uh, you know, if you think of China as an opportunity in, in the airline industry, well, uh, you know, 
per capita airline trips in India are are far below even China. You know, almost nobody flies uh, still in India. Um, and, and so there's all kinds of optimism. But at the moment, no, it's it, it's very competitive, and, and that's putting downward pressure uh, on on everybody. Um, Jet does, among other things, have, have one important asset or set of assets, and that's its slot portfolio at, at Mumbai. Um, you know, so that is a severely capacity constrained airport uh, where Jet uh, is 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 the biggest player, and and there's. There's nothing anybody else can do about that. Uh, so, so that's helpful. And yeah, I mean, even even abroad, it's changed its orientation. I mentioned instead of thinking about Abu Dhabi, now it's uh, looking at more longer haul flying to um, you know to Europe in particular, and then uh, and and beyond with those partnerships I mentioned. Uh, and uh, you know, that's just probably. Uh, uh, more of a market you you you'd want to be in at the moment. Look, there are, there are all kinds of challenges. I mean, you know, the Etihad piece. Um, look, that's a big market for Indian Airlines, the the, the Arabian Gulf. That's you know a lot of people um, move between the Indian subcontinent and the Gulf, going there as as uh, uh, to work, for example. Um, and and that has dried up to a degree. It's something certainly that that uh, uh, Jet. Uh, has dealt with, but it does have the flexibility that some of those uh, short haul oriented Indian airlines don't have to reorient itself farther abroad, um, you know, because because it is wide body aircraft. They have a new CEO, Vinay Dube, finally joined the airline in August after more than a year without a CEO. Does it matter? And did they make a good choice? Well, uh, yeah, companies should have a CEO, right? So, um, so sure, and, and, and I think the fact that it. Took so long, probably speaks uh, something about the the daunting task uh, there, and, and and something about again just sort of the 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 different stakeholders uh, tugging different ways. Um, but uh, yeah, here we're talking about somebody who uh, uh, you know has worked at O Delta, probably no surprise there, but you know worked at American in the U.S. as well at uh, at, the, at the GDS, the Global Distribution System, and uh, technology provider Saber. Uh, you know, has worked in in Europe and Asia as well. Uh, well regarded. Uh, so yeah, I think somebody who who sends uh, at least his appointment sends the the right signal uh, to the marketplace about about what kind of direction this airline is going to go. India seems to be a very dynamic market right now with a lot of possible partnerships or mergers. What are some of the more interesting storylines that you are keeping tabs on there? Well, Air India, you know, there's there's, there's that question. I mean, the the, the uh, India's government seems as serious as ever about selling a, a stake in Air India. And, uh, and, and that's an airline that, you know, although it's a long way from being in the upper echelon of the world's airlines, you know, it, it, it has... Um, it seems to be a little better off now, that, at least than it was um, at its nadir. Uh, you know, Indigo um, is is one that uh, says it's interested in investing, but Indigo is also apparently, and this is all you know, media reports in India, um, interested in perhaps buying into Jet Airways itself if 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 Indigo's pursuit of Air India doesn't work out. Um, yeah, and meanwhile, then you've got I mentioned Etihad still owning a quarter of of, uh, of Jet Airways. You know, if Etihad wants to sell, as it might, um, you know, who's going to end up with that? Uh, uh, you know, Delta loves owning pieces of of, of airlines uh, who are strategic partners, so it would be uh, an, an obvious candidate. So, uh, you know, we're we're going to have to watch all of this, but um, uh, all of that, and just just always the possibility of some other transaction, just a, you know, a straight merger between uh, between uh, airlines and in India. Uh, always a possibility, although 
past mergers in India have not gone terribly well. So there's there's still that that memory there of uh, the Air India Indian merger, the Deccan merger. The uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a string of them over the past you know 15 years or so that um, that that didn't go terribly well. Uh, that that everybody remembers. So they would proceed with caution, I'm sure, in in, in in terms of any of those kinds of transactions. Interesting times. I want to thank our sponsor, I had a training. Did you know that 36 million new aviation-related jobs will be needed in the next two decades? Offering over 350 aviation-related courses, IATA can help you take advantage of this huge opportunity and boost your career. And even better, if you register more than three months in advance, you can save 20% on course fees. Terms and conditions apply. Visit iata.org slash training for details and start shaping your career in aviation. That's iata.org slash training. Quick question about Air Berlin. I read in Airline Weekly about Ryanair, Lufthansa, and others being interested in buying pieces of Air Berlin. And then I read about a pilot strike and planes being repossessed, and I wonder... How long before there's just nothing left to buy? Is that a reasonable question, reasonable concern? It is, except that, let's face it, what what Ryanair, for example, is, is, is interested in, as well as uh, some of these other suitors, um, is not Air Berlin, the business. It, you know, it's the assets. Um, uh, and, and so... Uh, as unhelpful as what you described is, in the end, various suitors are interested in in you know airport facilities and slots and airplanes and 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 uh, and those sorts of things, rather than the the business as a you know as a, as a going concern, so to speak. Uh, you know because the point is that it's that it's a uh, a highly unsuccessful business. Things are changing rather abruptly for European LCCs. They are no longer the lone wolves they once were. They're starting to form relationships. Ryanair is working with Air Europa, and now comes EasyJet with something called Worldwide by EasyJet, which essentially amounts to EasyJet interlining with Norwegian and WestJet. But before I get to my question, let's do an Airline 101 question. Dun, dun, uh. What is interlining, and why do airlines do it? It's the most basic form of cooperation between airlines, uh, and, and even... Even with that, you know, it, it can take different forms. But uh, you know, even airlines that are that are fierce competitors often interline with each other, uh, if for no other reason than to be able to transfer bags between their airlines. For example, you know, have passengers travel on one ticket, uh, reaccommodate their 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 passengers on other airlines. Uh, so you know, whether it's uh, British Airways and Air France or United American or, or others around the world, um, you, you know, it, it, it's just a, a a very basic form uh, of of cooperation um, for 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 the benefit of of their mutual customers. Now, what what EasyJet's doing is something more. You know, there, there's there's a commercial relationship here. Uh, you know, which which would often involve um, a code share, and that's. Uh, uh, you know, sort of on the spectrum of various forms of airline partnerships. That's that's even a, a closer relationship where you're uh, more directly selling seats on another airline. So, uh, but anyway, it, interlining doesn't have to be anything more than what I just described. Uh, although in this case, uh, you know, very clearly these are airlines th- that are interested in 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 cooperating uh, commercially, not in merely you know being able to transfer the bag or or uh, or you know helping stranded passengers or something like that. So EasyJet is interlining with Norwegian and WestJet. Now, Seth, you say EasyJet is likely getting the better end of this deal. Why? 
because it's the nearly risk-free end of this deal, what it's doing is is, is not new. I mean, you mentioned, Jason, it's rather new in Europe uh, in terms of the you know, giant low-cost carrier doing a deal like this. Um, but if you look at uh, North America, for that matter, South America too, you know, goal there is, is one, but uh, uh, in North America... Uh, JetBlue, Alaska, WestJet itself. Uh, uh, you know these, these are all airlines that have very successfully partnered with long haul airlines uh, to to feed the long haul flights. Um, and it's different from sort of the typical long haul short haul structure within the industry. You have the you know the, the sort of the industry standard pro rates, where um, you know, generally speaking, when you have a short haul airline cooperating with a longer haul airline within, let's say, an alliance structure, the, the revenue is split roughly based on distance. These deals, although you know nobody ever discloses the terms uh, publicly, um, are by all appearances very different. I mean, this is you know when when JetBlue uh, carries a passenger from Buffalo to JFK to connect onto uh, the, the, you know Emirates or South. South African Airways or, or, or whoever, um, you know, those airlines are basically buying a seat from JetBlue, um, you know, pr- probably at a discount, um, but not a but not a huge discount. I mean, it's not as if JetBlue is only taking you know fifty bucks because that's because that's the uh, you know because that's uh, uh, what they should get as a percentage of the total revenue relative to the uh, to the uh, the distance that they're providing. Um, you know, if they're taking the passenger, it's because uh, doing so is is rather profitable for them. And those longer haul airlines. Uh, you know, very often just have kind of no other way to 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 feed their flights. Um, you know, they they're not in a in a joint venture, let's say, with somebody who, who's who's very closely commercially aligned uh, with them. Uh, you know, Jason, of course, about the the big transatlantic joint ventures and and, uh, and and similar JVs in other parts of the world. So, um, so anyway, you know, from EasyJet's perspective, you know, Norwegian and WestJet are just going to be buying airline tickets from it uh, by. By all appearances, anyway. Again, you know, we don't know the terms of this, but that's that's probably what's happening here. And so, if they're taking the passenger, that's because that's incrementally profitable business for them. You know, it's because it's 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 a seat that um you know where they think they're getting as much as about as much as they can uh, for that seat. Uh, now, Norwegian and WestJet, on the other hand, are involved in something that's totally on the other end of the the risk spectrum: low cost long haul flying. You know, we we know how that's gone uh you know norwegian in particular is deeply troubled westjet less so but but it's certainly troubled by its standards um and so yeah it, it, it's uh look they they need to do what they can to to try to fill those flights but when you're charging rather low fares uh, uh you know if you look at norwegian's fares across the atlantic if then you have to start spending significant amounts of money to um uh you know to fill those flights which to one degree or another you're probably going to have to be now technically the you know the passengers paying easyjet for the connection um but in the end uh you know the the total fare can only go so high before it stops starts bumping up against you know just fares on other airlines on uh, you know uh, American British Airways and and uh, you know Delta Virgin Atlantic Air France Kelham and so forth so that's going to have to come out of somebody's pocket um you know if somebody's only paying a few hundred dollars to fly and and uh, it's not going to come out of EasyJet's pocket while we're in Europe something else caught my eye there SAS turned a big profit in the the May to July quarter 16% operating margin, in fact. Seth, did that surprise you? Well, uh, I, I mean, 
by most standards, yeah, uh, not not a shock. Only because look, things are going rather well um, in Europe in general. Though certainly not well for uh, for SAS's competitor Norwegian. And let's see, by the way, how they end up doing uh, for for the uh, for the third quarter. That's really going to be make or break for them. But yeah, SAS has uh, you know you you can't accuse it of of not doing what it can to try to adjust its. Uh, it's it's uh, shortcomings. Um, uh, you know they've they, they have a much more seasonally scheduled airline now than they once had, which um, uh, which they can do because they got much more flexible labor deals. Um, uh, those the new labor deals also let them have you know fewer flight attendants on long haul flights and and so forth. They really held their their labor uh, cost inflation. Uh, in, in check, um, and they're benefiting from yeah a reasonably strong um, economy in Europe in general. Uh, outbound demand from Sweden uh, very strong, and uh, you know yeah we mentioned Norwegian, but in general, and, and this is something that has that has tended to help SAS a lot in recent years when this happens. Competing capacity in Scandinavia uh, just isn't that bad right now. You know the the, the other like the LCCs have just sort of directed most of their growth uh, elsewhere. So even when you have, um, uh, you know, a rather weak Norwegian economy, which you do, uh, related to low oil prices, on the other hand, um, uh, other airlines have have, uh, have tended to stay away from there. Uh, by the way, Jason, just want to point out, as you said, the May to July quarter, if that sounds strange, it's because it is. Most airlines don't operate on a May to July quarter. It would be you know, April to June and then July to uh, uh, through September. Um, but that is indeed, um, SAS's calendar. They have a quirky calendar that started back when they were you know, essentially bankrupt several years ago and they had to, um, to restart the clock at a weird time. Last week in Airline Weekly, we had a cover story on United's, shall we say, dimming prospects. For the third quarter, the airline no longer expects pre-tax margin of 13 to 15%. They've revised that down to eight to 10%, which is quite a drop. Hurricane Harvey didn't help, but the trouble goes well beyond that. In the article, we detailed pretty well the challenges faced by United. Seth, my first question is whether this is a United-only problem. Are Delta and American feeling this kind of stress? Well, it's not a United-only problem. Uh, you mentioned that that um, rather dramatic downward revision of of, uh, of, of uh, profit forecast by United. Um, American had revised its numbers down somewhat also uh, less dramatically. But, and this is important, Jason, that revision by United was after uh, being able to tally most of the impact of Hurricane Harvey, uh, whereas American's revision came before the impact of Hurricane Irma. Uh, United, fortunately for United, as, as as badly impacted as it was by by Harvey, um, it has uh, very little exposure relatively to uh, to Florida and, and to the Southeast in general. Uh, whereas American has all kinds of exposure there. Um, you know, so does Delta because of its Atlanta hub and just because of a lot of flying in Florida. And 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 look, by the way, uh, JetBlue, Spirit, these are airlines that have an even bigger percentage of Florida exposure. Uh, as a percentage of their overall uh, businesses. I mean, they're, they're just smaller airlines. So to one degree or another, um, uh, uh, Delta and American are, are feeling it. Um, you know, you know we'll, we'll see here in a few weeks uh, what kinds of profits they, they uh, report. You know, we'll see if Houston is kind of offline to some degree, if demand is is uh, impacted on an ongoing basis, as United said, to some to some extent might be the case um, beyond just this quarter. And, you know, if perhaps that's, more of the case there than it is in in uh, Florida that would impact United more but um uh, you know but but a lot of what's going on um 
it's sort of self-inflicted by United. They they very aggressively rolled out their basic economy fares, the the you know, totally you know, no frills unbundled fares to compete against the ultra LCCs, and they've you know they've they've said that they were they were too aggressive, and uh, you know there's kind of a nationwide fare war going on, and and uh, United. Um, as much as anybody uh, fired some of the early shots. We said in Airline Weekly that United is considering matching Delta and American with a true premium economy product on intercontinental flights. What do we mean by true? And do you think they're going to do it? Well, we just we mean a premium economy product. It's just United doesn't have one. The, the, the U.S. carriers have had United actually was 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 the first to have what they call economy plus. Those are extra legroom seats. Um, and they've had that since you know going back to the early part of last decade, uh, and 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 the others much later matched that Delta and American with an extra legroom section. The, the other airlines around the way, KLM is one that 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 had that for a long time, um, where it's it's the same seats, just more legroom. Um, and there might be some kind of differentiated service. You know, Delta would include. Um, uh, liquor on long haul flights, for example, that kind of thing. But um, but generally speaking, the same seat. Whereas when we say true premium economy, and when we we add the word true just to kind of distinguish, no, we mean you know uh, premium economy like people would get on Lufthansa or Air New Zealand or Virgin Atlantic or Air France or on the pond or you know lots and lots of airlines around the world um, that have where it's a wider seat with a lot of extra recline probably a different meal uh very very common around the world but it just hadn't existed in the US until well i mean it's basically now is is when is when uh it's it's first beginning to fly at american and delta now um to answer your question about uh whether i think united will match it no i think absolutely i think they would have already if they could have uh their their the, the timing was bad they um if you just sort of look at what they rolled out they locked down the design they froze the design essentially for their, you know, for Polaris, their new business class uh, cabin. So, so the that configuration that's that's you know that's now beginning to fly on on their brand new aircraft. That th- that decision was made sort of just before the other airlines announced premium economy. Um, and so they were already in that process, and it was just um, it, it probably would have been hugely. It certainly would have been hugely disruptive to then have to say, wait a minute, do we want to, you know, do we want fewer Polaris and fewer standard economy seats and, and oh, let's go design a, a premium economy product. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's just a timing thing. I think if they could uh, snap their fingers and have premium economy now, they they uh, they absolutely would. Um, and I, I think I, I really think there's little doubt that they're going to match it. Um, they do in this case have the last mover advantage. You know, they let to the, the I mean, Delta and American are doing it, and they get to see what they're doing, and um, you know, talk to passengers who've flown it and see what people would like more and that sort of thing. But uh, in this case, um, yeah, you know, you you not sure how much of an advantage that is. I mean, everybody knows what a good premium economy product looks like at this point, and I think if if they could have it, they uh, they would. They do at least get the benefit of being able to sell premium economy via their uh, joint venture partners. Um, you know, several airlines in the Lufthansa group. Uh, I mentioned on the pond. Um, uh, I, I mentioned they're New Zealand. Uh, you know, those are all airlines that that have uh, that have premium economy. So uh, United can sell the seats, just it doesn't have it on its. Uh, on its own aircraft. All right, let's move from premium economy to basic economy. 
We've talked before on the show about the generally excellent track record of United's President Scott Kirby, but as you mentioned, this year he made what seems to have been a very expensive mistake with the overly aggressive rollout of United's basic economy product. Has his magic touch worn off? Well, yeah, I mean, that that seems to have been a, a, a debacle uh, for sure, and uh, and and I mean, look, they knew what risk they were taking. You know, when they started, uh, and so basically, just you know, just very quickly in summary, you know, the, the, right as as I mentioned before, it's an unbundled product. Uh, so you know, you go to book on United, and you see, okay, there here's basic economy for you know eighty dollars one way uh, in, in a market, but you're not going to get a. Uh, uh, you know, you can't carry on a full size uh, carry on bag that requires overhead bin space, and you're not going to get an advanced seat assignment. You can't be upgraded, and you can't change it even with a big change fee. All that stuff, or you can pay fifteen bucks more, twenty bucks more, uh, and, and get a standard economy uh, seat. So, um, so United um, rolled that out. I mean, at one point they had that available on every seat uh, in in every domestic market. And so, because American especially uh, didn't do that, but but then American's entry point fare would be the same. So American would would offer you that for eighty bucks. Yeah, they would offer an eighty dollar fare that wouldn't carry all those restrictions. Um, United was spilling business to American, which it knew it would do. It said, "Look, this is going to be you know we're going to suffer in the short term. We're going to spill business, but eventually you know uh, everybody will probably match us, and and um and 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 this will all work out well." Well, it 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 just ended up hurting American a lot, or hurting United rather a lot more than they than they expected. Kirby's magic touch, you know, I, I I think a more nuanced view, uh, and and yeah, I mean, look, this is this is very very expensive. I think a more nuanced view of how he um has always operated is that he has always been aggressive. Um, if you look at you know just U.S. Airways over the years, they they were never afraid to go first on something. More often than not, it worked. And when it didn't, they weren't afraid to back off very quickly. That's something I think like companies in all industries are sometimes a little too slow to do. You know, they 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 decide to do something, and then because it was their idea, you know, that management team's idea, um, they're very reluctant to to uh, to to go back on it. Sort of defend the position they've taken just because it was their position. Whereas you know that that management team, um, uh, you know, at the time Parker Kirby and so forth. Doug Parker, I mean, the current CEO of American, you know, they would they would try, and uh, you know, one one that comes to mind was you know they tried charging. Uh, this was late uh, late two thousand eight, early two thousand nine. They tried charging for all drinks, including soft drinks, you know, coffee, water, uh, juice, Coke, uh, charging for all soft drinks um, in the economy cabin. Uh, like the ultra LCCs do, and their competitors did not match, and customers pushed back, and and they, and they had to go back on it. Um, but they did it quickly, you know, and and um and and there were a lot of other things that they tried that that did stick. Um, and uh, you know, it seems to have always sort of been their philosophy is as long as you're right more often than you're wrong, it's better to uh to try than to uh than to never try. You know that this will this will be another one of those, those examples that we'll remember for a long time of of uh, you know him just pushing too far, but let's see here where how this all shakes out in, in, in the end. I mean, if, if basic economy ends up being this rather broadly accepted uh, product, you know something that American and Delta uh, have in most domestic markets. You know, then maybe by forcing the issue in the end, it'll it'll work out. Um, and I said domestic, by the way, international uh, too. At some point, maybe it'll work out. Uh, I should make one distinction too, by the way. Delta has had basic economy uh, for for a long time, but it's a less restrictive product. They don't have the um, the, the restriction on, uh, on on full size carry on bags. Um, so it's actually very broadly deployed in in a lot of markets, including. Um, uh, 
uh, internationally, but but it's but it's but it's just not as as uh, restrictive as as uh, what American and United have. Another thing we mentioned in the cover story, United is dealing with a lot of low-cost carriers nipping at its heels around the country. Why are they particularly struggling with LCCs compared to Delta or American, assuming that's the case? Well, they are very exposed. You know, I, I, I just ran uh, a little while ago, you know, top, uh, in using DOMI, top um, markets, top, top airports for uh, Spirit, Frontier, and Allegiant, the three ultra LCCs combined in the U.S., and among their top five, and of course, you know, Fort Lauderdale is there and so forth, but among their top five are Denver and Chicago O'Hare. Both of those are United hubs. Um, you know, one of them, Chicago O'Hare, is, is an American hub. Uh, there's no Delta hub in there. And everybody's exposed to them in, in various places and, and uh, you know, uh, indirectly. I mean, they're, they're, they're an issue for, for all these airlines, but, you know, their biggest markets overlap most with United. And just in terms of other LCCs, I mean, if you look at uh, Southwest, uh, it's it's a it's a major player in most of United's markets. Uh, United doesn't have hubs like um, you know like Charlotte, let's say, where you know American has a place to itself. At least not you know giant hubs like that. Um, you know, United has a we've, we've talked about this in the past, but you know it has a a great presence in 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 all the biggest markets. The best presence, I mean, you know, in terms of. New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, you know, Houston's usually a good place to be uh, in other moments in time. Denver's, a, you know, a, a very competitive, but a good airline market. And, uh, you know, Washington, right? It's, it's, it, it's, uh, Dulles is in the wrong place, but United's the only airline with a, with a global hub serving DC. But yeah, it, it doesn't have, like I said, Charlotte, um, doesn't have, uh, even, you know, set Atlanta aside. That's kind of in its own category, uh, what, what, what Delta has there. But, uh, but even, you know, Minneapolis, where, yes, yeah, Sun Country's there and, and, you know, Southwest competes there and everything. But, um, it, it, it just, it just kind of shares its, its hub cities a, a lot more in some cases at other airports. I mentioned the competitive situation of O'Hare. Uh, you know, oh, by the way, down you know, on the other side of Chicago is a, 200 flights, 200 Southwest flights a day at Midway. Uh, you know, Houston. You've got you've got Hobby uh, down the road where, where uh, Southwest does its thing. So, um, so yeah, you know that they're they uh, they face a lot of low cost competitive capacity, and uh, you know, I, I I think probably no surprise that they were that they acted as boldly as they did. And at the end of the United cover story, we touch on something rather ominous. We talk about how United at least has a robust U.S. economy going for it right now. But then we close, mentioning there are some worrying signs. Falling airline revenues are one of them. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, well, everybody's revenues, you know, as we've seen with these these re- downwardly revised forecasts, um, uh, you know, everybody's revenues are under pressure. Uh, and, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes, you know, once, once, you know, once we get a little bit beyond the hurricanes and so forth, um, uh, see where these airlines are, but, but rather clearly, you know, the, the U S airline industry is, is expanding, uh, more quickly than the, than, than the U S economy. Uh, and, and that just tends to, to put downward pressure on air freight. United itself is, is, uh, expanding, you know, domestically rather uh, rather quickly, um, you know, more so than, than, uh, than American and Delta. Um, so, so yeah, we'll, we'll see where it all shakes up. I mean, in terms of the U S economy there too, I mean, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's, it seems to be okay right now, but you know, inflation is rather low wages aren't rising and none of that's terribly new, but, 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 you know, we'll see here, you know, how much longer this, um, this incredibly long expansion can go on. It's, it's 
as far as anybody knows, still going. Um, but but yeah, you know, it's it's uh, any slowdown in the the overall economy combined with the other issues for the airlines could put them under under more pressure. Uh, you know, obviously, they start from a much better place now than they did at almost any other moment in the past. But it's becoming increasingly clear that 2014, 2015 were probably peak years uh, for the U.S. airline industry, at least uh, at least in the in the near term. Let's talk about hurricanes, of which United might be the biggest victim among airlines. It's been quite a season. I know you've been all over the media in recent weeks talking about the storm's impact on the industry, but have you talked about how this impact could be a lasting one? For a lot of these islands, the impact on tourism will be felt well through the precious winter season. And I should mention, we're recording this as yet another storm. Maria just trashed Dominica and is bearing toward the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico again. This is all after St. Martin, the British Virgin Islands, St. Thomas, St. John, all these big players in the tourism industry, they all took extensive damage. What do you think airlines who serve the Caribbean are thinking right now? I'm sure they feel terrible for you know for for those destinations and you know for their employees that the that are in those places. Um, uh, I know myself. I was in Guadeloupe earlier this year, so sort of my first thought, uh, it just just north of Dominica, is you know what's happened there. And as as we speak, there's there's really very little news out of there yet. I actually did talk about this on, um, on uh, National Public Radio here and now with uh, Jeremy Hobson, their excellent host, and he asked me a similar question. And 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 uh, as I told him, and as I'll I'll tell you, it, you know, the the impact tends to be more on the destinations than on the airlines. Um, so you take you know St. Martin for example, which we already know what 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 happened there with Irma. Uh, it was absolutely devastating. Um, I mean, the, the airport was destroyed. So, you know, airlines that fly there, like American, Delta, uh, United, Spirit, uh, JetBlue, you know, it's unhelpful, obviously. And again, I'm talking beyond the, the human toll, first and foremost. But in terms of the business, it's it's, it's unhelpful. But, you know, tourism demand is, is, is rather fungible. Um, and people, you know, when they want to take a vacation, when they want to go to a beach, they just they tend to end up just going to a different beach, uh, and, and so those same airlines are going to carry uh, most of those same people. They're just going to take them somewhere else, uh, and and so between the fact that that these are just giant airlines, where that's a you know, any one of these destinations is a very small percentage of, of their overall business, and the fact that they're going to recapture a lot of business anyway, um, the impact on them, uh, and I'm talking the big US airlines, obviously a different story for small airlines operating within the Caribbean, but as far as the US airlines uh, and other global airlines that serve those destinations, um, you know, the Virgin Atlantic and, and Air France and some you know, airlines like those, um, British Airways, uh, it's, it, it, yeah, they're, they're not, not a terribly important, uh, long lasting impact. The impact is, is, is on those islands. Staying in the Caribbean, I have a question about U.S. service to Cuba. Frontier and Spirit have abandoned Cuba, while others are looking to increase service, including JetBlue, Southwest, Delta, United, and American. We made a point in the current issue, which I thought was rather interesting. Uh, we made a point about what distinguishes the U.S. airlines that are staying or even growing in Cuba from those that have left. Yeah, and so you sort of say, well, what, why... Why are things so bad for, uh, you mentioned Frontier Spirit, look, uh, Silver Airways is gone. Sun Country never even started. You know, they, they were supposed to start, <clears throat> just never even started. Uh, obviously, their booking supposed to have been terrible. You know, so why are things so bad for them and things are so great for, you know, JetBlue and, and Southwest and these airlines that they want to expand service? And, and, and 
you know, the answer almost certainly is not that things are so great for them. Um, you know, the 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 answer is is that uh, you know, if you say what distinguishes the airlines that have left, is it that they're ultra LCCs? Well, Sun Country isn't yet. Silver Airways certainly isn't yet. It's a turboprop flyer. It's probably just that the airlines that are staying are much bigger airlines. Kind of like I said a minute ago, you know, about how you know, d- d- you know, one island destination is a small percentage of an overall airline's uh, business. Well. You know, if if you're losing a lot of money in Cuba, that's a really big problem if you're Silver Airways uh, or Sun Country. It's a pretty big problem if you're Frontier and Spirit, which are much smaller. You know, the, they're much larger than Silver and Sun Country. They're mo- much smaller than most other U.S. airlines. It, it's just not nearly as big of a problem uh, for for JetBlue and Alaska. It's an even smaller problem for Southwest, an even smaller problem for American Delta and United, uh, you know, $40 billion revenue, uh, companies. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think what this does, it, it, you know, it kind of shows you, you know, in terms of, you know, does, does, does size matter in the airline industry? You know, does the scale matter? Uh, you know, this is one time when, when you can kind of see how it does, uh, because those airlines that are staying, I mean, look, they, they, they expect to turn the corner eventually. They wouldn't stay if they thought it was just hopeless forever. Um, but they can afford to play the long game. You know, they can afford to invest and wait out what I'm sure are, are not well performing routes right now. Um, and, you know, and wait for the market to, uh, to mature. Um, and the other airlines at that time might wish that they could have stayed but they but obviously they just can't i mean and, and spirit uh, we know is under pressure right now so it, it you know again as, as a not giant airline can't afford to uh lose very much money anywhere uh frontier we don't know exactly what its current finance finances are but um they'll trickle out at some point but we know it's delayed its ipo uh so that that's probably the answer uh not that it's doing any better for those airlines but just that the uh that its performance in Cuba, their performance in Cuba simply just doesn't matter as much because of how much bigger they are. And with that, we are out of time. We could do a lot worse ending the show in Cuba, where the rum is surely flowing and hurricane season is thankfully past its peak. Thanks for listening. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. We'll be back here in a couple of weeks with another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge was sponsored by IATA Training. Visit www.iata.org training to discover more than 350 courses to help boost your career in aviation. That's iata.org training. Dominica. All, all, all my life I thought it was pronounced Dominica. Yeah. Thank goodness for the, the, the pronunciation key on Wikipedia, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs>